What is up, everybody? JT Sports here. Back to you guys with another episode of the JT Sports Podcast. On this episode, we're going to be discussing can Florida upset Utah week one of the college football season? Going to be ranking my top five quarterbacks in the ACC for this year. Why Alabama football will be unstoppable. And what AFC West team is most likely to disappoint this upcoming NFL season? If this is your first time listening to the JT Sports Podcast, welcome. I appreciate you for tuning in. Make sure that you follow me on all of my social media platforms. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Sports underscore underscore and on Instagram at JT Sports underscore. Lastly, if you haven't already, make sure that you are subscribed to my YouTube channel, which is JT Sports. A couple of nights ago, I was on the phone talking to one of my homeboys who happens to be a Florida fan. And we were going through the Gators schedule for this upcoming season, giving our record predictions game by game. And of course, we started off with their week one matchup against Utah. And we spent, what, 45 minutes to an hour going back and forth on this game because he believes that the Gators have a really good shot at upsetting Utah. Now, I was a little bit taken back by this. Now, he isn't one of your overly optimistic fans in the offseason that thinks that his team is going to go undefeated every single year. He's pretty realistic when it comes to Florida football. He knows this program inside and outside. So when he says something pertaining to Gators football, I respect it. Now, of course, I do my own research and due diligence as well, but he's pretty on the money the majority of times when it comes to the Florida Gators football program. So I went and I looked at the odds for this matchup. And I was really surprised that Utah, according to most sports booking websites, was only a one and a half point favorite in this matchup. Now this is a team that's coming off a Pac-12 championship and they return 17 out of 22 starters from last year's team. Now, I was asking him, okay, why do you believe that the Gators have a great chance at upsetting Utah? Why are you so confident about Florida's chances of winning this game? He said, well, first of all, JT, they are a West Coast team, and they have to travel all the way down to Florida, and they're playing in the Swamp. And playing in Florida is not that easy if you're a team that's not used to the weather it's really humid it's muggy I don't think it's going to be incredibly hot when this game ends up kicking off because it's later in the day around nighttime 7 p.m eastern time so I said okay I can understand that but what else are you giving me okay he also says that we have Anthony Richardson at quarterback and If you guys have been listening to the podcast, I have something called the superstar quarterback theory, which I believe that if you have a superstar quarterback in college football, you should be able to win at least seven games or more as long as you have a above average team around them. And if Anthony Richardson is as good as what we all think he will be this year, there's no reason why Florida shouldn't be able to win or compete in every single game they played this year. So I say, okay, you got Anthony Richardson. I can understand that. And he also said that Florida is going into this season with the best offensive line they, that they have had in recent memory. And I agree with that. However, I said, okay, if Florida's going to be able to upset Utah, how effective are they going to be able to? to run the football against Utah's defense. Because Utah's run defense was really good last year. It was 21st in college football and rushing yards per game allowed. Now, they do lose two of their starting linebackers, Nafai Sewell and Devin Lloyd, to the NFL draft. But they're going to be replacing those two guys with Mamamou Diabati, who happens to ironically be a transfer from the University of Florida. And then you also have talented true freshman linebacker Landon Barton, who should end up getting the start at the other linebacker position for Utah's defense. He was a four-star recruit coming out of the 2022 class. He was the seventh best linebacker in the nation, the 96th best player overall. 
And Utah also has a lot of talent and depth on their defensive line. So they can rotate guys in and out to keep people fresh for this game. Now, Florida has a really phenomenal group of running backs. You have Montreal Johnson, Naquan Wright, and Lorenzo Lingard, who is coming off a really good spring. And I expect Montreal Johnson and Lorenzo Lingard to really be the two running backs who get the bulk load of carries for Florida this season. Now, I know that Florida probably should have a good amount of success on the ground. You have talent at running back, and also you have to account for Anthony Richardson's ability to run the football as well. But my biggest concern for Florida in this matchup, and the reason why I have a hard time seeing Florida pulling off the upset, is because they're wide receivers. Now, I love Justin Shorter and Xavier Henderson. Okay, but Florida doesn't really have a lot of depth behind those two. And I really question, you know, how good are these wide receivers going to be in this game against a really good secondary? Utah has cornerback Clark Phillips, who is one of the best cornerbacks in college football this season. He is expected to be a first round, second round draft pick in next year's NFL draft. You have Jatavius Broughton. Safety Cole Bishop. So Florida's passing attack, at least when it comes to weapons at wide receiver, I don't really know if I have a lot of confidence in them in this matchup. And also, when you look at Florida, on the defensive side of the ball, how well are they going to match up against Utah's physical offense? Because Utah is not your prototypical Pac-12 team. And I was telling this to my friend on the phone. I was saying that Utah isn't one of those finesse Pac-12 teams that aren't really all that good up front. Utah is one of the most physical teams in all of college football. And they are one of the most physical Pac-12 teams that I have seen in a very long time. How is Utah going to be able to slow down running back Tavion Thomas, who is one of the better running backs in all of college football? Now, he countered this. He said, well, JT, Florida has a really solid front seven, led by Gervin Dexter, Brenton Cox, and Ventro Miller. And I said, okay, that's respectable. But do you have enough depth at defensive line to keep those guys fresh? Because Utah is a physical smash-mouth football. Their offense isn't anything special. All they want to do is run the football down your throat and pose the will on you for the first three quarters and then tie you out in the fourth quarter. Now, they also have one of the best tight end groups in all of America. You have Brent Keithy and Dalton Kincaid. For Florida, do you have any linebackers or safeties who can match up with these two tight ends because they're not blocking tight ends. I was telling him that these are two really good all-around tight ends. They block very well, and they also catch the ball at a really high level, especially Brent Keithy. Like, Brent Keithy, after the catch, is kind of like a wide receiver. He's really elusive, really nimble. So does Florida have really any defensive backs or any linebackers who can cover these two guys? Because I really think that this is going to be the focal point of Utah's offense in this game. If Florida cannot slow down these two tight ends, you don't really have a great shot at winning this game. And the biggest question that I have is, does Florida have the depth to match up with the physicality of Utah? This is a team that doesn't run away from anything. They're physical. You're going to leave this game, regardless if you win or not, waking up the next morning sore, really sore. And you're going to be bruised and you're going to be battered. So for Florida, you know, I'm not saying that they don't have a chance to win this game. But I kind of think that Utah should at least win this game by 10 points. I think Florida can keep it competitive, but I do think that late in this game, I think Florida's questions at death are going to show themselves, and I think that Utah is going to end up pulling away late in the fourth quarter. Now, you probably are going to counter that if you're a Florida fan and say, well, JT, what about Utah's wide receivers versus all corners? And I understand that. You know, Utah's wide receivers aren't, Super impressive, but at the same time, 
the majority of their passing attack is predicated off their two talented tight ends. So if you can't stop Kincaid and Keefe, then you really don't have a great shot. So let me know what you guys think about Florida going into this matchup. Do you guys think that Florida has a great chance of upsetting Utah week one? Because if you had to ask me how confident would I be on a scale of one through 10 on Florida's chances of upsetting Utah, I probably would go four out of 10. And I'm not saying this because I don't think Florida's going to be a solid football team this year. I think they could win seven, eight games. I just think that Utah is just that good. I really think that Utah is a top five football team going into this season. I think they are that talented. This is a team that overachieved last year in a lot of people's eyes. Nobody expected Utah to have the kind of success that they did last year. If you would have told me that Utah was going to beat Oregon not once but twice in the fashion that they did, I would have been extremely surprised at you. If you were to tell me that Utah would be able to hold their own against Ohio State in the Rose Bowl, I would have been a little bit surprised as well. Now, it's not as if I thought Utah was going to get ran out of the building by the Ohio State, but I just wasn't expecting them to go toe-for-toe, blow-for-blow with the Buckeyes trading blows. And Utah had a pretty good shot at winning that game. So let me know what you guys think down in the comment section down below if you're listening to this on YouTube. I want to rank my top five quarterbacks in the ACC for this year. Now, if you guys haven't seen already, we already did a segment ranking the top five quarterbacks in the SEC for this year. Make sure that you guys go ahead and check that out. And when I do my rankings, you know, it's always hard for me to rank college quarterbacks because I always view them from a NFL lens who has the most NFL potential. And a lot of people say, JT, when you're doing these rankings, you have to judge them not by you know, what they are as an NFL prospect, but how good they are as a college quarterback. So I had to redo these rankings like, what, five or six times? But I think that I have, you know, a pretty good top five. And I think that many of you guys should agree with the order. I don't think there's going to be too much backlash in the comment section. So starting at number five, I have Louisville quarterback, Malik Cunningham. Now, behind Hendon Hooker, I think that Malik Cunningham is the second most underrated quarterback in college football entering this year. This is somebody who has had a good amount of production over the last couple of years for the Cardinals. Last season in 2021, he threw for 2,941 yards, 19 touchdowns to six interceptions, completed 62% of his passes. And he also had over a 1,000 yards on the ground and 20 rushing touchdowns. Now, if you guys watch Malik Cunningham play, I don't think there's no way you can say that he doesn't play exactly like Lamar Jackson. Now, he's not as elusive as Lamar Jackson. He doesn't make as many people miss as Lamar. But he's pretty good when it comes to running with the football. He's also pretty fast as well. Now, he doesn't have the arm that Lamar Jackson has. Now, he has a really good arm. Don't get that twisted. But Lamar Jackson has a stronger arm. However, I think he's more accurate as a passer than what Lamar was at Louisville. So when you look at Malik Cunningham, he's been really productive, phenomenal athlete, super dynamic runner. And I think for him, If he can improve his pocket presence, being a little bit more calm, because there are a lot of times where he gets a little bit jittery, and I think that he bails out of the pocket too fast. So if that improves this year, I think that Malik Cunningham could be a dark horse Heisman contender. And I don't see how anybody can see it. And I'm a little bit surprised that not too many people know who this guy is and how good he is, but... If you don't know who Malik Cunningham is, go look at some Malik Cunningham highlights and tell me that he doesn't play similar to Lamar Jackson. I'm not saying that he is Lamar. I'm not saying he is going to be the next Lamar Jackson. I'm just saying that if Lamar Jackson had a twin, it probably would be Malik Cunningham. They play ideally similar. And when it comes to his NFL chances, you know, I think that he has a pretty good shot at rising um, on draft boards. 
And I think that he potentially could be a third or second round pick. But Malik Cunningham comes in at number five for me. Sam Hartman, Wake Forest quarterback, I have at number four. And I know that a lot of you guys are going to get riled up about this one. You're going to get really upset. But when I look at Sam Hartman, I watched a lot of his games last year. You know, he played really good against the average to below average competition. But when he played against some of the best teams in the ACC, he didn't have too many good performances or too many great moments to say the least, okay? He had three games of two interceptions or more, including four interceptions in the ACC championship game against Pittsburgh. He's a little overrated to me because when you look at the numbers, everybody's going to say, man, JT, Sam Hartman is one of the best quarterbacks in college football. Over 4,000 yards, 39 touchdowns, 14 interceptions, completed 58.9% in his passes, and he also has 11 rushing touchdowns on the ground. And you know, with me, efficiency is really key when it comes to how I like to rank quarterbacks. If you're somebody who's reckless with the football and you turn the football over a good amount, I can't really rank you all that high. And a lot of people are probably going to say, well, JT, the highs outweigh the lows. And I can understand that. But he wasn't good against NC State, despite the fact that Wake Forest won that game. He had three interceptions to three touchdowns. Against Clemson, he wasn't all that good neither. And against Pitt, he had two touchdowns, four picks. So for Sam Hartman, I think that this is somebody who has great stats and great statistics. But for him to be ranked higher on this list, I just need to see better performances against some of the better competition in this conference. So that's why I have him at number four. And I don't know if a lot of you guys are just going to skip over that and just automatically go to, you know, getting irritated in the comment section. But I just can't rank Sam Hartman any higher on this list than at number four. Because if you go back and you watch his film against Clemson and NC State and Pitt, he was a turnover machine. And if he didn't have all those turnovers, there's a pretty good chance that Wake Forest could have won the ACC championship game against Pittsburgh. But Sam Hartman is my fourth-ranked quarterback in the ACC for this season. At number three, I have Virginia quarterback Brennan Armstrong. And his name is really ironic. Get it? Brennan Armstrong. He plays quarterback. Nobody laughed. Well, it was funny to me. But anyway, when you look at Brendan Armstrong, I got to rank him above Sam Hartman simply for the fact that he was really phenomenal against some of the best teams that Virginia was matched up against last year. Against BYU, he balled out. Even though he did have two turnovers, he had four touchdowns. And against UNC, he had four touchdowns, over 500 yards passing. He had a lot of phenomenal games where he had multiple games of three-plus touchdowns or more and several games when he was throwing for 400 yards. And when you look at Brendan Armstrong, he has very good arm strength. I think that he has very good touch on his passes. He isn't super athletic, but he can extend plays. But I think that he plays in a quarterback-friendly system. So if you're looking at him from a NFL perspective, you know, he probably most likely won't be a first-round pick because of that. His quarterback system is kind of of a one-read and bell after that. So you probably would like to see him get a lot better when it comes to going through his first, second, and third reads. On top of that, his mechanics are pretty off. A lot of times there were many times that I watched Brendan Armstrong and he was throwing off his back foot and especially under pressure his mechanics can really get spotty at times and his throwing motion is slow and elongated but he does have pretty good touch and I like his accuracy so I think that if he can improve when it comes to his footwork I think that he potentially could be a third-round pick in next year's draft. And I think that Brendan Armstrong probably could have the argument being made for him that he is the best quarterback in this conference. I've seen him on a lot of people's top 10 quarterback rankings for this year in college football. And, you know, I kind of agree with it. This is somebody, when it comes to making plays and having a lot of big throws, 
Brendan Armstrong definitely delivers in that department. And I think that he's better than Sam Hartman. I can't really see why people put Sam Hartman above him. This is somebody who threw for 31 touchdowns to two, 10 interceptions. And he also threw for over 4,000 yards. So I think that if you have to compare Sam Hartman and Brendan Armstrong, I think Brendan Armstrong is the better quarterback. More accurate, takes better care of the football. Give me Brendan Armstrong at number three. At number two, I have NC State quarterback Devin Leary. Now, Devin Leary had a breakout season for the Wolfpack last year. He threw for 3,433 passing yards, 35 touchdowns, only five interceptions, and completed 65.7% of his passes. Now, Devin Leary is the most accurate quarterback in this conference. He had a great game against Clemson. He has great ball placement. He makes great decisions with the football. He has high football IQ. He's really good when he goes through going through his progressions. One, two, three. I think that this is a NFL level quarterback. However, he's a traditional old school quarterback. It's funny that we call pocket passers old school quarterbacks now, but he doesn't have a lot of mobility. He doesn't really bring you anything when it comes to the run game. So I think that that kind of holds him back a little bit. But he's really good under pressure. He has a really fast release. I think that Devin Leary has to be the second best quarterback in the ACC. Not just when it comes to purely college football, but also if you're looking at him from a NFL evaluation standpoint. This is someone who I most definitely could see being a late first round pick. I don't think he would go early first round simply for the fact that he doesn't possess a lot of athletic ability, which is something that you have to have in today's NFL. So I think that that might hurt him a little bit. But I think that overall, Devin Leary is one of, if not the best quarterback in the ACC, because there's not a lot of quarterbacks who have this kind of accuracy, who can throw wide receivers open. You have a lot of quarterbacks in college football who wait for wide receivers to get open, and then they throw it. And then you have Darren Leary, who's throwing wide receivers open. You have wide receivers who are coming out of their breaks and the ball is there that's what you like to see out of your quarterback when it comes to accuracy you want to see the ball getting there on time as soon as the wide receiver breaks on his route so Devin Leary I think that he's a little bit underrated I think that he deserves to be in that top 10 quarterback discussion or at least a top 15 quarterback and I think he's a big reason why a lot of people are high on the Wolfpack when it comes to them being a sleeper team to make it into the college football playoffs this year at number one I have Tyler Van Dyke and I understand that a lot of people are probably going to get upset with this one because they're going to say well JT Tyler Van Dyke doesn't have the numbers that the other quarterbacks behind him does And I understand that. And I also understand that, you know, Tyler Van Dyke didn't play in as many games as these other quarterbacks. But if Tyler Van Dyke would have played the whole entire season, he would have had the most touchdowns out of any quarterback in this conference. If he would have played the whole entire regular season for Miami last year, he was on pace for having over 40 passing touchdowns. This is somebody who kind of started out slow when he first came in and replaced of the Eric King due to injuries he got off to some shaky starts and I was looking at him I was like man this dude trash can we can we put somebody else in and then after that UNC game he really started to settle in he ended the season with six straight games of 300 plus passing yards and three plus touchdowns and he balled against NC State and Pittsburgh and led Miami to wins in those performances. He's incredibly athletic. He has a very good arm. I mean, the ball comes out with a lot of velocity, really fast. It's really beautiful to watch Tyler Van Dyke throw the football. And he reminds me a little bit of Josh Allen in a sense, because I think that he's more athletic than what a lot of people give him credit for. I mean, he can really move. Tyler Van Dyke has some wills and... You know, with him getting his first little bit of action last year, you know, his 
decision making was really questionable at times especially late in games so hopefully that should improve this year his accuracy also probably could use some improvement as well it was pretty spotty during certain moments of games he kind of was hot and cold some games or sometimes during games he would be on and there also would be sometimes during games that he would kind of be cold so overall, I think Tyler Van Dyke is the best quarterback in the ACC for this season, like I said last year. If you're somebody who only cares about the numbers, Tyler Van Dyke had 25 touchdowns and played in way less games than these quarterbacks right behind them. If he would have played the whole entire season, he would have had the most touchdowns out of any quarterback in this conference. Like, this dude is phenomenal. And I think that, without a doubt, he's probably going to end up being a top 10, top 15 pick come the 2023 NFL Draft if he, did, if he does end up declaring. But this is it for my top five quarterbacks in the ACC. Let me know what you guys think about it down in the comment section down below. Alabama is going into the 2022 college football season absolutely loaded. And I know we say this about Alabama almost every single year, but I think that this could be one of the best Alabama teams that we have seen under Nick Saban. I mean, they're a juggernaut. And I don't want to say that they are unbeatable because we already know what the mantra is in college football. Any given Saturday, any team can fall. But I think that this Alabama team is so talented that I think that they're going to beat every single opponent they match up against in the regular season by at least 14 points or more. I mean, you have Bryce Young coming back at quarterback. He won the Heisman Trophy last season, and I think he's going to end up winning it again. And yes, I think he's going to win it over C.J. Stroud. You're loaded at wide receiver. The rich get richer is what they say. You get Jermaine Burton from the transfer portal. The dude is an athletic freak, a monster, great size. He can catch almost anything. You also get Tyler Harrell from Louisville. You have Ja'Cory Brooks who could be in for a breakout season. JoJo Earl as well. Christian Leary. And then you have tied in Cameron Latu, who was third on the team last season in receiving yards. He had 26 receptions, 410 receiving yards, eight touchdowns, and averaged 15.8 yards per reception. And the thing about Cameron Latu is that he was overshadowed by Jamison Williams and uh, John Mechie. I think Cameron Latu may be the most underrated tight end in college football. I mean, He's really good, really good. And then, not only do you get Jermaine Burton and Tyler Harrell from the transfer portal, but you have this freak in Jameer Gibbs. You see, a lot of people don't know who Jameer Gibbs is because he played in the ACC for Georgia Tech. But, I mean, this dude is a monster. And I have this LSU fan that keeps harassing me in the comment section saying that Jameer Gibbs is not going to be good in the SEC. He was able to be so good in the ACC because he was playing inferior competition. Like, that's just nonsense. Like, if you're watching this, shut up, please. Like, Jameer Gibbs is an absolute freak. If he ends up declaring for the NFL draft, I expect him to be a first-round draft pick. Phenomenal size, freakish athlete. He probably runs a 4-4. And on top of that, he has incredible acceleration, great strength, great contact balance. On top of that, he has really phenomenal hands out of the backfield. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Jameer Gibbs line up in the slot. And you know, all throughout spring, I've seen nothing but articles about Jameer Gibbs. He has, it seems as if he has won the award every single week during the spring session for Alabama. And then he also won Alabama spring MVP. I mean, Jameer Gibbs is a monster. And I mean, if you thought Jameer Gibbs was a monster, I mean, wait till we get to the defense. I mean, we already know about Will Anderson. Will Anderson may be probably the scariest player in the history of college football. I mean, I don't know how he didn't end up finishing in second place for the Heisman Trophy behind Bryce Young. But it's amazing. 
And that makes me realize Alabama has the two best players in college football on their roster. That just goes to show you just how talented this Alabama team is. Bryce Young and Will Anderson could probably be the first two picks of next year's NFL draft. One and two. Now, it doesn't matter the order. Rather, you think Bryce Young goes first or Will Anderson goes first. I don't think there has ever been a team in the history of college football that have the first two picks in the NFL draft off the same team. It's ridiculous. You look at the defensive line, Barry Young, DJ Dell. You got Henry Toa Toa coming back, who led the team in tackles last season. You have Dallas Turner. I mean... Where do they find some of these guys at? Dallas Turner looks like the Incredible Hulk. I mean, he looks like somebody who has never missed a day in the gym. I don't know where Alabama finds some of these players from, but they are a football factory. Literally, it's like they have a conveyor belt. They create their own football players. They're playing NCAA 14 mode. But they're editing the rosters and everybody has a 99 overall and everybody has maxed out physical attributes. Like, I don't know where Alabama gets some of these recruits from, but it's ridiculous. And then that cornerback, this may be one of the best secondaries that we have seen out of Alabama in a very long time. Not saying something because Alabama has had some of the best secondaries in the history of college football, but this just might be the best one. Eli Ricks. Transfer from LSU, without a doubt, is most likely going to be a first-round pick in next year's draft. You have Jordan Battle, who also potentially could be another first-round pick from this secondary. You have my guy, Kool-Aid McKinstry. Mm, I, I love that name, man. Do you know that he has a NIL deal with Kool-Aid? That's cool. No pun intended. You got Byron Branch, who also is one of the best defensive backs in college football. I mean, this Alabama team, if you're facing Alabama, I mean, how do you beat this team? The only way you can hope to beat this team is if they just come out flat. And if they just beat themselves. You also have DeMarco Hellams. I mean, I'm not done naming players. I mean, these are some phenomenal players that they have on this defense. There are a lot of guys who most likely are going to be playing on Sundays. They're going to be getting drafted really high whenever they decide to declare for the NFL draft. I mean, it's ridiculous. Alabama never rebuilds. They just reload. It's absolutely mind-blowing because when you think about this team last year, many Alabama fans will probably tell you that the 2021 Alabama team was one of the most least talented teams that Nick Saban has had. At least when you look at what they did on the field. I understand that they were the most talented team in college football when it comes to recruiting rankings and whatnot. When you look at how they produced on the field, they were really inconsistent. You lost to Texas A&M. You struggled to beat Auburn, a lowly LSU football team. And despite that, you were able to upset Georgia in the SEC championship game and still make it to the national championship. Now, I'm not worried about the offensive line. The offensive line is going to improve. It's going to be really good. When you look at Alabama's schedule, it's really no game that you can look at and say it's 50-50. I mean, you play playing Utah State. You get, you get your little tune-up game before you play Texas on the road. And you should be able to handle Texas. Texas may give Alabama a little bit of a fight early. But Alabama most likely probably will pull away. And then you have ULM, Vanderbilt. Then you play Arkansas. Now, I think the Arkansas game is going to be really interesting. Because after you play Vanderbilt, you have a really tough stretch after that. You're playing Arkansas, A&M, Tennessee on the road. And Mississippi State. Then you got to go on the road to play LSU. Then on the road to travel to Ole Miss. So their schedule really gets tough. But I think that Arkansas game is really important to me. Because I think that Arkansas is going to be the second best team in the SEC West this year. I think that out of all the teams in the SEC West that Alabama plays this year. 
I think Arkansas has the best shot at beating them. And I understand that Texas A&M has probably a more talented roster than Arkansas, but I think that the play calling is better. And I also think that the offensive line for Arkansas is also going to be one of the best units in college football, which is something that you have to have if you want a shot at beating Alabama. But on top of that, you have K.J. Jefferson, one of the best quarterbacks in college football. And if he develops over the course of this offseason, I think that there's a chance that, you know, maybe Arkansas could give Alabama a slight scare for the first three quarters until they pull away. And then after that, you play Texas A&M. I already said earlier, it's going to be a bloodbath. I think that Texas A&M is going to get beheaded and they're going to get splattered all over the road with their blood. And I think that we're going to be seeing Nick Saban in Alabama just write a bunch of profanities in Texas A&M's blood saying that's what you get for disrespecting Coach Saban. I mean, every time somebody disrespects Coach Saban, it never ends up going well. You remember when LSU beat Alabama in 2019 that year? They won a national championship. You know, they were feeling themselves. And then the following season, right? But Nick Saban was interviewed before the game. And this is one of the most cerebral interviews that I have ever seen from Nick Saban. I don't know what cerebral means, but I'm just going to use the word because I just saw it on his face like Nick Saban is always locked in. But that 2020 LSU game was different because Nick Saban said that we want to come in here and change the way they think. And that's just one of the most scariest statements that I have ever heard from a head coach. And they most definitely did change the way that LSU thought, boy, because that game was a splattering. It should have just had rated R. If you're you're not over 18 or older, you can't watch it. That was one of those games that you send the kids to the bed really early. And then you just tell them, don't look at the highlights because they're not going to like what they see. And I mean, for Alabama, man... This coaching staff is really good. I think that Bill O'Brien got a lot of hate that he didn't deserve last year. I don't know why it's so popular for people to hate on Bill O'Brien simply because he didn't work out with the Houston Texans. And even then, he wasn't even a bad head coach for the Houston Texans. He won the AFC South several times, made it to the postseason, won a playoff game. Even before Deshaun Watson arrived, he won the playoff game with Brock Osweiler. A lot of people forget what Bill O'Brien did for Penn State. Bill O'Brien put the keys in motion for James Franklin. If it wasn't for Bill O'Brien, who knows what Penn State would be right now. So I think that Bill O'Brien gets a lot of undeserved criticism. Now, I understand that sometimes his play calling is questionable at times, but that's with any offensive coordinator. Everybody makes questionable play calls every once in a while. You got Pete Golding. I think it's only a matter of time before he ends up getting a head coaching job somewhere. I mean, this team is sick, man. Really sick. And I think that Alabama is probably going to be the closest thing that we have seen to being unstoppable in a very long time. And I think really the only team that has a legitimate shot at being able to actually challenge Bama this year is probably going to be Ohio State. You know, Georgia lost a... Great defense, one of the greatest defenses that we have seen ever in the history of college football. So I definitely think that Alabama should get the best of them. And I really think if you're looking at a team who can compete with Alabama, who has just about amount the same as talent as this team does, I think it's really only Ohio State. But I think Alabama football, man, this is going to be an unstoppable train. And I don't think that don't I don't think that nobody's gonna have a chance of being able to stop or slow it down. The only thing you can do is move out the way. Now, I'm not gonna say that, you know, Alabama can't lose a game or two, but it's gonna be really hard looking at their schedule for me to even look at a game that I could really just look at and say, you know, this is a game that could give Alabama some problems. But of course, college football is always unpredictable. We never know what to expect. But judging by the looks of this Alabama team and what they have done in the transfer portal over the course of this offseason, I don't really see nobody really pushing Alabama in the regular season. 
But let me know your thoughts on Alabama football going into the upcoming 2022 college football season down in the comment section down below. The AFC West is absolutely stacked. And the majority of NFL fans out there, myself included, feel that this is going to be the toughest division in the NFL this season. But what team from the AFC West is most likely to disappoint this season? Now, many people think that it could be the Kansas City Chiefs. And I have to strongly, strongly disagree with that. I don't understand why people think that losing a great wide receiver is the end-all, be-all. Losing a great wide receiver doesn't make or break the Kansas City Chiefs. I'm pretty sure the Chiefs are going to have one or two wide receivers step up this year. Rather that be Miko Hartman, Juju Smith-Schuster, rookie Sky Moore, or undrafted rookie for agent Justin Ross, or MVS. Somebody is going to step up in this passing game at wide receiver for the Chiefs. You also do have the best tight end in the NFL and Travis Kelsey, a top five off the line. And the two most important pieces are still there. That's the big red machine, Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes. I don't understand why so many people are just overly attached to the wide receiver position. It's one of the easiest positions to replace in the NFL. It's harder to find a elite left tackle, an elite pass rusher, compared to finding a elite wide receiver. I'm not saying that they grow on trees and things like that, but if you have good coaching and a great quarterback, you're most likely going to have an elite wide receiver. So I don't think that losing Tyreek Hill makes or breaks the Kansas City Chiefs. I don't think that losing Tyreek Hill makes the Chiefs go from the best team in this division to one of the worst teams in this division. At worst, Kansas City is going to come in second place behind whoever else if there is somebody who's able to take the throne from them. Now, when you look at the Denver Broncos, you know, the Denver Broncos are a popular team that many people think is a little bit overrated. And I kind of got to agree because I don't trust Nathaniel Hackett as the play caller. He didn't call plays in Green Bay. He was mainly responsible for assembling the game plan and strategy. But the last time he called plays with the Jacksonville Jaguars outside of the long year Jacksonville made it to the AFC Championship game and lost to New England, his offenses have been lackluster to say the least. So I think that Nathaniel Hackett's play calling is going to cost Denver a handful of games this year. Now, he has Russell Wilson, so his play calling isn't going to be atrocious or anything like that because if you have an elite quarterback... He's going to make the guy calling the plays look like a genius. But there are going to be certain moments in the games that Denver Broncos fans are going to say, man, what was that? You get what I'm saying? Why would we run that play? So I don't really trust Nathaniel Hackett as the play caller in Denver. But I don't think that they're going to be the team that's going to disappoint in the AFC West this year. I think it's going to be the Las Vegas Raiders. The Las Vegas Raiders went to the playoffs last season. They won 10 games despite everything that they had going on with John Gruden and Henry Ruggs. And I do give them a lot of credit for that. However, despite the fact that they have a brand new coaching staff and Josh McDaniels, who I do like a lot, I think he's going to have it figured out as his second stint as a NFL head coach. But their offensive line is amongst the worst in the NFL. Outside of left tackle Colton Miller... Nobody on this offensive line is good. You have Alex Leatherwood, who is most likely going to be starting at right tackle again. He's coming off a disappointing rookie season. You have Denzel Good coming back, but I don't really think that he really makes his offensive line night and day better compared to what it was last year. And a lot of Raiders fans are going to say, well, JT went to the playoffs last year with this offensive line. We... That really pisses me off when people say that, man. This is not last year. It's 2022. This division is way better than what it was last season. I'm so tired of people undermining the importance of being able to be good in the line, in the trenches. The offensive line matters. 
It doesn't matter how good Devontae Adams is if Derek Carr doesn't have enough time to throw him the freaking football. You're playing in a division where every single team has pretty much gotten better. And Kansas City is still Kansas City. The Las Vegas Raiders added Devontae Adams. Your wide receiving core got better. But your offensive line still isn't good. Are you really going to tell me that Denzel Good, despite the fact that he had his season cut short week one coming back, is going to make this offensive line nine and day better? Let's be for real. There's a reason why Cincinnati spent a lot of money in free agency to improve their offensive line. The Las Vegas Raiders took advantage of an L.A. Chargers team that was in the middle of the pack that was fairly inconsistent and the Denver Broncos, who weren't all that great last season. Both of those two teams got better over this offseason. You're not going to be able to have a lot of success in a tough division with the lackluster offensive line. And you can make the argument and say that Oh, JT, well, the coaching staff is going to figure it out. We're going to change some things schematically. Like, the offensive line is one of those things that doesn't matter what you do schematically. It's not going to tremendously improve a bottom half of the league off the line to one of the best offensive lines in the NFL. At best, it will slightly improve. You still have to have guys at the end of the day who can block one-on-one. Who's going to end up blocking Joey Bosa or Khalil Mack? Outside of Cole Miller, do you really trust Alex Leatherwood to handle himself? And you can say, well, JT was a rookie. Penny Sewell was a rookie and handled himself against some of the best pass rushers in the NFL. Rashawn Slater was a rookie last year. It was one of the best offensive tackles in the league. So if you're going to tell me we went to the playoffs last year. This off the line, we can do it again. That's nonsense. That's last season. The division wasn't as good last year as it is now. You're not going to win a tough division if you can't win up front. You get what I'm saying? Like, give me a team that has won a loaded division with the worst off the line in the NFL. I don't think it's happened. But if you if you can give me two or three examples, tell me that. And don't give me Cincinnati because the AFC North was not great. The Ravens were injured, the Browns missed the playoffs, and the Steelers were holding on to a thread by Big Ben. And they were carried by the defense. And we saw what happened in the wildcard round against Kansas City. They got blown out. And on top of that, the Raiders' secondary is not that great. I mean, you have Trayvon Mullen, who's he's decent. You got Rocky Sin. I love Nate Hobbs. He had a phenomenal rookie season. And then you sign Anthony Averett, who's coming off probably the best season of his career with Baltimore. But you don't have any great corners. You have okay corners, and you do bring in Patrick Graham. But at the same time, what about Jonathan Abrams? He's a liability in coverage. You see... This is a Raiders team that has really good edge play. I like Denzel Perryman, but outside of that... You're either okay or below average at several positions. And Patrick Graham is going to greatly boost this defense. He's the best defensive coordinator that the Raiders have had over the last decade. But I don't think that this defense is still going to be anything special. I don't think it's going to be a top 15 or top 10 defense. I think it's going to be a middle-of-the-road defense. Top 16, top 17 at best. So you look at the Las Vegas Raiders, I just think that this team is most likely to disappoint this season. And I know Raiders fans are going to get upset about that, but the offensive line just is too big to overlook. Just because you have a lot of great weapons, you still can't overlook how important the offensive line is. If the offensive line wasn't that important, Cincinnati would have never spent so much money on improving theirs. Same thing with the Kansas City Chiefs after they lost to the Buccaneers in the Super Bowl. And like I said, and I'm going to keep saying it again until Raiders fans get it through their head. The division that you were able to make the playoffs in last season is way tougher this year than what it was last year. We're calling this the toughest division in the NFL. And to win a tough division, you have to be good up front. 
The Chargers have a good offensive line. The Chiefs have a good offensive line. The Broncos offensive line is okay. And your offensive line is not that good. If you look at the teams who make it the furthest in the playoffs on the majority of times, it's teams that have really good play in the trenches. Defensive line and offensive line. Cincinnati was an outlier. There's not too many teams that have been able to make it far in the postseason with bad off-the-line play. And I like Derek Carr. I like Darren Waller. I like Devontae Adams. I like Third and Renfro. But at the same time, you got to have the off-the-line that's going to give Derek Carr time to throw the football to these playmakers. And in this division... I think that off the line has to be way better than what it was last year if they're going to be able to get to the postseason this season. Now, some people are going to say the Los Angeles Chargers because the Los Angeles Chargers were fairly inconsistent last year. They lost to the Texans. They had some really bad losses, but they also had some really good wins as well. And I think that Brandon Staley's defense mainly struggled simply for the fact that he didn't have the necessary talent that he needed to execute his defensive scheme the way he wanted it to. So you brought in Khalil Mack, J.C. Jackson. This defense is going to be really good. You have no linebackers, but when he was a defensive coordinator for the L.A. Rams, they didn't really have any big-name linebackers, neither. So I don't really think he cares that much about linebackers in his system. So I think that the Los Angeles Chargers most definitely are going to be able to get to the postseason. So I think that this division potentially could have three teams that get in. But I think the Raiders are going to be the team that ends out missing out. And if the Raiders were in a different division, like the AFC South or, you know, the NFC East, I think they could win those divisions because I don't think you need great offensive line play to win those divisions that I just listed off. But if you're competing in the toughest division in the NFL, you're not going to make it far if you're not good in the trenches on the offensive line. But let me know who you guys think will be the team to disappoint from the AFC West this season i appreciate you guys for listening to this episode of the jt sports podcast make sure that you guys check out the jt sports podcast on every single podcasting platform spotify apple google amazon wherever you get your podcasts from the jt sports podcast is available